This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, the third episode of this podcast, strictly dedicated to the sport of professional wrestling. We might deviate a little bit towards that end in a little bit, but honestly, I feel like having a little fun and talking a little bit of NXT TakeOver in your house this past weekend. It was an amazing show. It brought back a lot of great memories, the way that crowd looked, the way the whole broadcast looked, the way it was old school. It looked similar to, I was talking with a friend of mine, in terms of TV's Dylan, and we were talking about how it looked very similar to kind of like the old AFV said, America's Funniest Home Videos, back when Bob Saget was hosting that thing, and he still looks about the same age. Todd Pettengill opening things up, and boy, oh boy, he looks very similar to our own Jordy Holberg. That's some other thing that we kind of talked about, but I loved a lot of this stuff. There were a couple things I didn't like, and I'll get to those right now. The, thing, the biggest thing I didn't like was Code Orange. Code Orange is cool. Don't get me wrong. I like the fact they had a really awesome, the, the band's awesome. I enjoyed their performances from NXT TakeOver a few years ago. And, you know, we could have, we were going to get Poppy. We, but I feel like at the end of the day, having a musical guest, like during a pandemic, felt a little weird. And also the fact that one of the members of the band looked like a mini Brock Lesnar. I was just sitting there wondering. What's going on here? Why is Code Orange here? Because it felt like such a just a sharp transition from the like super upbeat intro with Todd Pettengill informing us that we can't win a house, which is just absolutely despicable for them to do that and tease us with the fact that we could win a house but aren't going to get one. It is what it is. I already have a house, so but I would, wouldn't mind getting a free house from the WWE thanks to In Your House. But really cool stuff nonetheless. The Open. Code Orange, I could have done without. But what I would love to do is just kind of talk about what I enjoyed. And there's a lot of stuff I enjoyed, but I'll get to what I didn't like in a little bit. Because it was just like one thing in particular that I just was not a fan of. And it was, for the most part, kind of how some of the matches went. It felt like they were very much booked like you'd expect. I was disappointed in the fact that the opener was this... Six-woman tag, which me and Harry Broadhurst of the Reaction Podcast, we didn't talk about it nearly as much when you just heard all the conversation that was going on with the world of pro wrestling and what was going on. It was a low-stakes six-woman tag. I I enjoyed it, but it didn't necessarily like live up to expectations. I wish we could have seen Mia Yim, Candice LeRae one-on-one. I think that would have been good enough. You didn't need to insert this whole pandemonium thing like you did on NXT on Wednesday, it was a cool visual, but it didn't need to happen on a takeover. You could have done a six-woman tag the following week on NXT or even book it for that night because I think that would have been a really cool setup. Have it be booked as a six-woman tag instead of that mixed tag match that we saw on NXT that, honestly, we were kind of thinking that they could have wound up doing down the road and make it intergender, make it mean something. I felt like a six-woman tag that they could have done an NXT, but they passed up on, I was not a fan of. It was a good match, but it didn't feel like it had a whole lot of stakes. Like some of the other matches on the car did. 
obviously the title matches had something to give. But at the same time, you just look up and down that card, there was no that was the most low stakes match of them all. Karrion Cross, Tommaso Ciampa, kind of was the same way when you just think about it, in terms of how that was booked and how that was written. And of course, you know, we saw Karrion Cross beat Tommaso Ciampa by submission, and it was as expected. It was good. And I like the fact that it was kind of that between match. It was perfect to be that between match, when you look at it, between Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream in their cinematic-esque match and the last chance backlot brawl match. And then you've got the Triple Threat Women's title match, which was a banger. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to go through some of these other matches because we have time to kind of do it because no guests this week. So I don't mind going a little bit like, it's going to be more of a mini-pod episode because I'm just going to get to what's causing all this and break down what's going on in the sport of professional wrestling in the NXT TakeOver in your house. I'm going to get to some other stuff as well, but also probably get to some UFC 250 in just a few. But let me go back to the second match on the card, and that was Finn Bauer, Damian Priest, a really fun match. And again, this one just didn't. I wasn't hyped up about it, uh, and I love Finn Balor. Finn Balor is a great wrestler, a hell of a character, and the persona he has is really, really good. It just didn't have the like absolute height to it like, let's say, the Finn Balor-Johnny Gargano match had. It feels like Balor is almost running through the paces. If they want to put him over as a top guy, they have to have him beat the ever-loving you-know-what out of him. And before the match, Damian Priest trying to make himself over he knocked through Balor out of the ring and really kind of just started beating the tar out of him. But what was really wild was the spot of Damian Priest landing on the steel steps and the way that looked. Oh, my God. I was so nervous. And the sound of it, it sounded like literally a body splatted on that steel steps. I was concerned about his well-being and his health because it looked very concerning at this point in time to say, hey, you know, I, I was surprised it ended by a pinfall after the coup de gras, but it was just under, it was good, but I didn't need it to happen at least, or at least give me time to process all this and understand why it's being done instead of say, you know, you could have done Finn Balor, Keith Lee, or put Finn Balor in an NXT title picture over Velveteen Dream, who had recently had a title opportunity, but came up short. There's a lot of different things that I was thinking about. And this one, to be honest with you, just wasn't my thing when it comes to the NXT NXT title matches. When it comes to that, I was definitely a little bit disappointed. But overall, those first two matches on the card, they weren't the hypest matches, but they definitely lived up to, I'd say, low expectations. Now, speaking of that NXT North American title we talked about a little while ago, this was probably one of my favorite matches, and it was already hyped up to be really, really good the way Johnny Gargano was heading into this feud. It was hyped up a certain way. It was done a certain way, and it was booked perfectly. The way the ma- that mixed tag match ended with Keith Lee getting the keys in the eye, the way they were kind of hyping that up in the match itself, everything about this was perfect. Keith Lee, Johnny Gargano. I think the big thing everybody was talking about was the fact that Johnny Gargano and Keith Lee 
facing off, Keith Lee actually wore a Black Lives Matter hoodie and trunks. And apparently Triple H is more than willing to talk about the Black Black Lives Matter movement when it comes to the NXT superstars. He's not letting them, he's not telling them or censoring them and telling them, hey, don't talk about this. He's letting them talk about this. And obviously with guys like Keith Lee and Mia Yim, amongst the several other superstars, we can even bring him Velveteen Dream. And we'll get to him in a little bit in terms of his title match, which was really good, but not necessarily as great as Keith Lee, Johnny Gargano, which is actually the longest match of the car going about 20 minutes and a little bit of change. But it was such a fun match. You didn't like really realize it went 20 minutes. You saw the pounce into the plexiglass, which looked very similar to something you'd see in hockey, which was really cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm surprised it took that long to see a plexiglass spot. And Keith Lee crushed it with that spot. The whole before the match was probably my favorite part of it all, where Johnny Gargano's walking towards the door and walks out of the door. But before he does, he looks at his Doc Hendricks picture hanging inside that house and also changes the temperature in the house to a very nice 69 degrees. And we all saw, I I was talking to somebody about it, and I was immediately just saying, you know what, that was perfect. Why didn't anybody else think of doing that? But, of course, Johnny Gargano makes it a nice 69 degrees in the house, locks it, puts the key into his trunks, and then wrestles a 20-minute match with it. Big credit for him for being able to do that. And it was probably one of my favorite matches from Gargano in the recent NXT TakeOver history because he had to just completely get destroyed in this match. This could have probably been the second-to-last match if they wound up booking it a different way because I think he could have done the Adam Cole Velveteen Dream to end the show. But I think putting Keith Lee, Johnny Gargano as third, this was perfect for the NXT North American title. It was a hell of a fight for from both parties. And I think we can say right here, right now, Keith Lee, Johnny Gargano should go on. I think it want to, I, I would personally love to see this go on, but if not, you know, it is what it is. But then we look at the backlot brawl for the NXT title, Adam Cole, Velveteen Dream. And it was a big, like, overbooking to a certain extent. The way things were, obviously, the Undisputed Era got in there. Velveteen Dream cosplaying as Negan from The Walking Dead. At least that's what it looked like to me. Driving in a Lamborghini. That was just really awesome in and of itself. But it was a lot of fun. And the fight just... The fights were really good. And then you wound up seeing Dexter Loomis kidnap both Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish. In the, and put him in a car. And Mara Ranala talking about the TV show Dexter from Back in the Gap. And that, by the way, Dexter, really good show. But I love the fact that they were doing all that stuff. And then all of a sudden you see Adam Cole get put through a windshield. I I was blown away by the by that bump. I didn't expect to see that. But, of course, whenever it's a backlot brawl, it felt more like a parking lot brawl with a ring in the middle of it. But in terms of the cinematic matches, WWE's done. You can bring up one final beat. You can bring up Firefly Funhouse, Boneyard. This was probably the most underwhelming of them all. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I just did not enjoy the whole situation where, you know, it was overbooked. You had the end of the speeder there. You had Dexter Loomis. You had that whole angle. And the end is basically a low blow into Panama Sunrise. And that's how this match ends. And and this entire feud between Cole and Velveteen Dream ends. And that's disappointing. Now, if 
Velveteen Dream gets called up down the road, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. But it was an underwhelming end to what could have been a great match and maybe the crowning of a new NXT champion after Cole has been champion for a year. Now, then the big question is, is Adam Cole going to re-sign his contract? Because apparently reports are saying he is going to be, his contract is going to be up in August of 2020. But of course, we just don't know if those rumors are true. And more importantly, if that's going to be what happens with the current NXT champion, if he re-signs, and, and if, even if he sticks around. Again, I enjoyed the the match, but in terms of the backlot brawls that we've seen in the past, just not a huge fan of it. It wasn't as great as it could have been. But you know what? It is what it is. Adam Cole puts together another fantastic match. Delveteen Dream no longer being able to contend for the title. Could he be getting called up? Is a conversation I think we'll be having down the road. And then we get to the penultimate match on the card. Tommaso Ciampa versus Karrion Cross, the former Killer Cross with Scarlett Bordeaux at ringside. And this was a damn good match. It was the shortest on the card at 613, but it was so damn fun to watch. It was hard-hitting, intense, and just about what you'd expect from somebody like Karrion Cross and Tommaso Ciampa, the Blackheart, who, by the way, threw a great kind of jab towards Randy Orton. But again, 6 minutes, 13 seconds, fast pace, hard-hitting, and at the end of the day, you saw the NXT champion, the former NXT champion, Tommaso Ciampa, lose, disappointing, but it makes sense. But we're talking about Tommaso Ciampa. I got to say, his tweet he put out after my, Randy Orton's tweet got out, heard NXT takeover in your house was great. Slapping my legs for you guys. Sincerely, hashtag leg slap. And Tommaso Ciampa replies with, my daughter has been having trouble sleep, sleeping. Luckily, I found a remedy. Randy Orton matches. Better than NyQuil. Sincerely, an entire locker room who busted their asses. That is well done and well-placed shade if there ever was one. I know that's something Ben Love likes to do, but you know what? Why not have a little fun in bringing the pro wrestling equivalent of throwing shade on the program? But, of course, everybody's been talking about it. The triple threat match for the NXT women's title. And it was absolutely the best match of the night, without a doubt. I know we put out a poll shortly after the card ended. And my goodness, it was so damn good from start to finish. Io Shirai, Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley. Everything about that card, everything about this match was perfect. With the figure eight submission attempt, then you saw Io Shirai do the moonsault to break it up. Everything, the whole like top rope, the whole top of the stage dive, dancing on the ceiling, as Mauro Ronaldo said, that was a lot of fun. And of course, you had to have somebody get thrown into the in your house set, which was really awesome. I wish wish you would have seen a really much a better spot, I would say. But I'm absolutely just loving what I saw from this match, and of course was even more awesome, Io Shirai won the NXT title, beating Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley and getting it done, and it was well worth it to see her win this match. And the way it ended was even cooler because of the fact Io Shirai got the streamers celebration and the flowers and everything. 
it was reminiscent of what, you've, what we've seen in Joshi matches in the past, and it was so darn good. How can you not root for somebody like Io Shirai to get it done and, more importantly, kind of walk away with the NXT title around her waist, and now she is going to wind up being the person that runs things. And I'm honestly all the way looking forward to it. Hopefully she's able to really get things done down the road. Now what happens with Charlotte Flair? Where does she go? She was spending a lot of time within NXT. Now she's, and she's been part of a lot of different brands. Where does she go? Does she continue being in NXT? Does she go for a rematch clause down the road? Or does she set her sights towards the Raw or SmackDown women's titles? What happens after this week? When Backlash is done, where does Charlotte Flair fit in to the entire women's division as a whole? Because that's the real question I think we all need to ask, and maybe we'll get more of an idea on Monday Night Raw tonight. And, of course, we'll wrap up the show on this note with UFC 250 happening on Saturday as well. And, again, we're more strictly a pro wrestling podcast, but why not break down a big card? And this was a lot of fun as well. When you just look at the main card and how everything went, Sean O'Malley may have been the breakout star of last Saturday's card because I think everybody saw the huge knockout punch he hit Eddie Winland on. And it was a sugar punch just Absolutely just straight punch right in the face. And Sean O'Malley just looks like a created wrestler from 2K20. But it was amazing to see him hit that knockout less than two minutes into the fight. But, of course, Amanda Nunes continued to prove that she is the absolute goat in this industry with a unanimous decision to retain the women's featherweight title over Felicia Spencer, another great talent. But, man, it was just a wild, wild matchup between those two. But hopefully... If you checked out UFC 250, you enjoyed the hell out of it. It was definitely pretty strong. And then, of course, we all heard the news. Conor McGregor retiring from the UFC. What's going to happen there? That's a million-dollar question we're all going to have to try and figure out down the road. And that's going to do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hope you leave a nice review for us. Five stars. If you're in the Tokyo Dome right now, I'd give you a lot of credit for being there, but also give us six stars if you're out there in the Tokyo Dome. More importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play podcast. Just search 1037 The Game. You better get that, along with all the other great content that we got, like the Louis Prejean podcast, the Rap Game podcast, all of our regular shows. We got so many different things that you can listen to, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>